0: Welcome to Beauty Uncut the Podcast. I'm Shania. I'm Kayla. And I'm Ian. And we're here to bring a new perspective to beauty. Today's podcast is all about acne, energy-based devices, bone marrow stuff bit of everything bit of everything and we have the amazing dr ryan de cruz on dr ryan de cruz is a specialist dermatologist with over 12 years of experience and he has passion for providing personalized and holistic dermatological care he is passionate about educating the public and fellow clinicians on all aspects of dermatology Perfect! Can't wait to speak with Ryan. I just wanted to preface that I'm sick, and well, I have like a bit of a head cold, and I that's didn't why I say that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I hate it. I but thought
1: you I'm were so trying sorry. something
2: new. No, she's trying
1: a new
0: voice
2: <laughs> for your know, audio book. Really <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, we are at NSS, which is a conference at the Gold Coast for non-surgical
2: non-surgical symposium. Is but, what NSS stands yeah. for. Well, there you go. <laughs> we haven't ever recorded at this conference before have we
0: i've never been to this conference this is our first time at
3: nss oh wow it is an epic like venue don't it you feels think? like we've yeah. been
2: here together before though we, we haven't <laughs> no. maybe in your dreams but <laughs> <Maybe>. we definitely <laughs> haven't
3: everything is just so extra like their booths are so yeah. cool they're so nice it's
2: essentially this is the largest non-surgical conference in australia for cosmetics
3: you should have bought us last year but that's okay <laughs> it's fine
2: we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we, we've got a few interviews lined up with some doctors and practitioners here. I'm just super
3: excited. I'm excited, yeah. but I'm excited to chat with Ryan.
2: All right. So let's welcome Ryan to the podcast. Welcome, welcome Ryan. Ryan. Thank welcome. you. Thanks for having me.
3: Thanks for coming onto the podcast and thanks for dealing with our setup here. It's <laughs> not the usual setup. But currently, if you're listening, we're sitting on a bed in a hotel room. <laughs> when it's we go not on the
2: road, I- it's yeah, a little bit yeah. different.
3: Not <laughs> ideal settings, but it's fine. We'll make it work. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. So I'm a, what you'd call a board certified dermatologist, which is not a real term that we use here in Australia. It's a very American thing, but it means that I'm a fellow of the Australasian College of Dermatologists. And uh, as a dermatologist, I see a whole lot of skin diseases. So I see acne, rosacea, psoriasis, eczema, skin cancer, hair loss, nail diseases. So it's a really broad and very interesting field. And I absolutely love what I do.
3: Nice. So what's your favorite like skin concern to treat?
1: I think acne and rosacea are probably the two most common things we see and I absolutely love treating them because I think we can – I hesitate to use the word cure, but we can make a huge level of improvement to these patients' lives and their self-esteem and confidence. It's very fulfilling.
3: Yeah. When I was doing skin, acne was my favorite skin condition to treat. It's just such a rewarding, fulfilling condition when they get to the other side and you can just see a huge difference in their confidence.
1: Definitely. it's You're really joining the patient journey from the start to finish and you see this huge change in their their personality, their, the way that they engage with you, their eye contact and everything. It's actually, it's incredible.
3: Yeah. Well, we have briefly spoken about acne on our podcast before but only just touched, you know, the top of it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about acne and why we get it and the yeah. different types and things like that?
1: For sure. So I think acne is probably one of the most poorly understood conditions when it comes to the skin. There are certainly a lot of old wives tales that exist about it being, you know, due to poor hygiene or entirely due to your your diet. What we really know is that it's a genetically mediated auto-inflammatory disease, which is a mouthful to say. But what that really means is that if you have the genes for acne, it means that you are really sensitive to your own hormones. And those hormones might be normal at normal levels or they may be abnormal but essentially you've got this genetic predisposition to it And we understand that there are a whole lot of factors that will contribute to acne, but they're not the cause. So for example, stress is commonly spoken about. And we know that when you are stressed, you're more likely to release cortisol and cortisol will drive your oil glands. We know that diet can play a role and certain patients are very sensitive to a a high GI diet. So sugary foods and high fat foods may trigger their acne, but it doesn't cause it. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) And we know that a whole lot of sort of makeup products and other things that people will put on their face can actually also. So aggravate acne, but ultimately it comes down to your your genes, and and to your hormones. So. We, we understand that this is a problem that might often start in your teenage years particularly around puberty but for many people it can actually persist right through to their 20s 30s 40s and I certainly have a whole lot of 50 and 60 year old patients who also suffer from acne so that's the other thing that people kind of don't understand
3: yeah I think I think most of us think that it kind of once you hit 18 you're like bam I'm good never gonna get breakout scam but no not the case it sometimes it gets worse
1: exactly and in fact the bulk of my patients will be yes the teens but I see a whole lot of women in their mid to late 20s And their 30s who are coming to see me to treat their acne. And and this is what I think a lot of people get really frustrated about and really upset about.
2: And are those women that that are coming to see you at that age, you know, what we call, I guess, adult acne, did they suffer from acne as teens or is this something new? Can you see them, a new onset of acne? Yeah, really good question. So I think the
1: statistics, approximately 70% of patients who uh, present to me as adults will have been people who've had acne their whole lives or at least since their, their pubertal period and about 20 to 30 percent of patients there'll be new onset acne later on in their sort of late 20s or early 30s.
0: I know you were just saying about how acne is mostly genetically predisposed but is there any way we can kind of prevent it or improve
1: it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I I certainly think that we can alter to an extent the natural history of acne through our skincare practices when we're we're young, through our uh, paying attention to our diet and to just having some very simple techniques, including things like having a really holistic diet, doing good exercise, drinking lots of water, all those small things can make a slight difference. But I think the main thing is being aware that if you do have the genes, you shouldn't be necessarily putting up with acne for a long period or in, investing hundreds if not thousands of dollars on skincare, which is unfortunately something we see really commonly. It's about seeking help early. So what can we do? We can actually flag it early and actually seek appropriate medical therapy.
3: What therapies in your practice do you typically do to treat acne and what kind of treatments
1: yeah, really good question. It's something that I think we get asked a lot, particularly because there are a lot of people who are very scared about medical therapy. So the minute you mention going to see a dermatologist, automatically people will sort of seize up and think, oh, they're going to put me on hardcore Balacutane. yeah, yeah. Balacutane, hardcore medications, creams that are going to burn my face off and things. The, the reality is that there's a whole suite of both in-clinic treatments and at-home skincare that can be used really harmoniously and it's all about having a really good relationship with the doctor or the dermal clinician to understand you as a person, as a patient, your skin type, whether you've got incredibly sensitive skin, whether you're, you know, you've are you got very hardy skin, whether you're someone who definitely doesn't wanna be on medication or can't be on medication. And certainly the future is very bright. So we've got a whole lot of in clinic treatments that might include peels or steam extractions, as well as LED light to prescription therapies, which is where I come in. And in the future, we have a really exciting developments in the field of acne because we'll actually have energy-based Devices that can not only treat acne scarring, but actually active acne, which is something that has never been done before.
3: Is this the AviClear? Yeah, it the AviClear. AviClear, yeah. almost. <laughs> uh, you know what I was thinking? You know that product that's called AzClear or something oh, like yes. that. Oh, yes, there is, yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because that's actually how I found out about you through the AviClear um, yep. Qtera.
1: Yeah. So AviClear is is a new laser by uh, an American company Qtera. And it's, it's basically the first-in-class treatment for active acne of all severities. Right Now, generally, when you think about laser and, and acne, it's, due, it's designed to treat acne scarring. So that might be the redness, the, the pitted scars that are left behind, or even some of the more raised scars. But this is a specific device. The, the wavelength of energy is 1726. And what that means is that the energy penetrates through the skin and targets the oil glands directly. Mm. It targets them to shrink them down and to um, sort of remodel them them so that they don't get big and blocked and turn into acne. And it's one that can be used both at the milder end of the spectrum for more what we call comedonal acne, which is that congested skin, but it can also be used at the more severe end of nodulocystic acne. So never before has there been a device like this and achieving results that are sustained beyond 12 to 24 months after treatment.
3: That's amazing. Do yeah. you usually combine that device with other you know modalities or therapies like home care or is it just using the...
1: Device? Great question. So, certainly, our experience is limited to what we know from what's happening in the US mm-hmm. where the, the it has been rolled out. Unfortunately, we're yet to get it here in Australia. We're probably six to 12 months off. We're
3: always so far behind. <laughs> yeah. the we rest are, of It's the so world. sad. It's <laughs> so
1: far away. But look, from what I understand, speaking to industry experts who've used this device and um, having really good conversations and looking at their befores and afters, it's going to be complementary to in clinic treatments such as the occasional chemical peel, you may still need to use topical therapies on prescription or good skincare, but there are certainly many cases that do nothing and just have Aviclea. So I think it really depends on the patient in front of you, but most commonly for optimum results, you'll complement it with really good skincare.
2: So would it be thought of then as first line? Is it something that literally everyone would have and then see what else you want to... You know what? It really depends on the patient mm. and on their, their means. clear
1: let's be honest, it won't be cheap because of the, yeah. the technology, the cost of the technology that, and the number of treatments. It looks like it needs three treatments spaced approximately a month apart. Right. And we still will be learning about where, what that price point will look like. For some people, it'll be a no-brainer. They absolutely don't want any oral therapy or yeah. prescription creams. And so, yes, it'll be used first line in them. In other patients, it may be used as adjunctive therapy down yeah. the track. So it'll right. still be a bit of wait and see and how it'll unfold here in Australia. We have a very different medical landscape, as mm-hmm. you know. In, in the US, they have the insurances and all these other different, you know, limitations and uh, barriers to healthcare. Whereas Australia, I think we are very lucky in yeah. that you can generally get access to pretty good healthcare early on, but it's really wait and see, and I'm super excited about it.
2: Do you know, or, or do you think that there will be any Medicare benefits for this sort of treatment?
1: Oh, I wish, you know, I really <laughs> wish there were. I mean, ultimately, Medicare really only subsidizes a very small number yeah. of acne products mm. on prescription, whether it be oral therapy or prescription topical therapy. Yeah. So I suspect there won't be, you know, rebates from from the government on this, but, you know, of course, I'd be delighted if I were proven wrong yeah. in, in a few years. Yeah. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs>
3: jumping back to you, you know, when you were saying we all spend thousands of dollars on our skincare and most of the time it doesn't do what we want it to do. How would you, if someone was like, you know, on a budget or they weren't wanting to get in clinic treatments, what products or ingredients would you recommend for someone with acne?
1: Yeah, I think that's a brilliant question. And it's, it's so true. I think one of the, the saddest things that I see every day is patients who literally dropped thousands on skincare over a Even a short period of time, it might be only, say, 24 months, but you actually count up the the number of products that they've tried and failed and and the um, investment that they've they've made, and it's just enormous. So we go back to basic science. So what we know with with acne is that the most important ingredients is vitamin A or retinols. Now, there are a few different retinols on the market. You've got pure retinols, you've got retinaldehydes, retinal, and what, what I do is prescription retinoids, so they're prescription strength vitamin A's and they've certainly got the most level of evidence behind them. The good thing about prescription strength retinoids is that they can be prescribed by any doctor. It doesn't have to be a dermatologist. You can see your general practitioner, a cosmetic physician. You just simply need to know how to use them. So that's my starting point.
3: Do you, sorry to jump in, but I always, I get the misconception that, you know, people are on it like long-term and then their skin, you know, becomes super irritated, how do you, one, stop the irritation, or two, do you recommend only short intervals with the vitamin A?
1: It depends on the severity of their acne. If you've got actually very mild early acne, the occasional congestional spot, you may choose to start with over-the-counter retinols, mm-hmm. which are classically less irritating. But let's say you need to jump onto a prescription strength retinoid. The key is going slow and using heaps of moisturiser. Your question was, well, how can patients spend appropriately or sort of within their means? And you don't need to spend a lot of money on a good moisturiser. There are plenty of really good evidence-based hydrating moisturisers that don't cost a fortune that are, for example, less than 25 Australian dollars, Mm -hmm. and they can be paired with, a good prescription strength retinoid, it's about starting it only two or three times per week, moisturising before, moisturising after, is what we call the sandwich method, and slowly increasing it over a period of, say, six to eight weeks. When this is done appropriately, I'd say at least 60 to 70% of patients can tolerate good prescription strength retinoids very well. And in the case where you can't, then you can drop back to a, a retinol or, or retinal and uh, use other types of skincare such as alpha hydroxy acids, beta hydroxy acids, even zinc and niacinamide, which are all ingredients that have been proven to have beneficial effects in acne.
3: Do you want to tell us how vitamin A works within the skin to treat acne? Yep.
1: So it, it's uh, actually a, a, an amazing um, ingredient. It does a number of things. First and foremost, it actually works directly on the oil gland DNA. So the in the oil gland, which we call the sebum They are programmed in acne-prone patients to produce too much oil and to get blocked. So what the retinoid does is it penetrates through into their cell nucleus, into the DNA to down-regulate them. So first and foremost, it's shrinking down the oil gland and reducing the amount of sebum that they're producing. Secondly, it actually has anti-inflammatory effects. So one of the problems in acne is that our own immune system comes in, identifies these big oil glands as being abnormal and tries to attack them. And that's what causes the zits, the, you know, the people. Inflammation. Yeah. inflammation. Yeah. So retinoids are in, in themselves anti-inflammatory. The third thing they do is they actually unblock the oil gland. So there's a problem where actually when the oil is produced, it can't get to the surface of the skin because there's actually what we call hyperkeratinisation, so excess skin cells that block the ducts. So the the retinoids help shed off or desquamate these excess skin cells so that the oil can actually flow freely to the skin. And by unblocking those pores, it also helps reduce congestion and, and therefore acne as well.
3: Amazing. And then you were talking about like alpha hydroxy acids, beta hydroxy acids, zinc and niacinamide. Yep do you want to tell us how they complement like the vitamin A and how they work for acne as well? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So AHAs and BHAs are really age old ingredients and should be incorporated into any acne skincare regimen, but carefully. So this is where you you asked about how you can tolerate retinols and retinoids. It's about uh, introducing AHAs and BHAs in a slow and partial manner. So I would perhaps use a a cleanser that contains say salicylic acid 2%, but I'd say to my patients, please only use this two to three times per Mm. week. And what it does is it helps that unblocking of the oil glands that I referred to earlier. So it's an exfoliant, a chemical exfoliant, but as we all know, it can be overdone and cause mm-hmm. severe irritation and dryness. Yeah. So it's again, being quite careful with it. Again, zinc and niacinamide can be incorporated in the same cleanser or as a in your moisturiser. So I quite often would recommend a moisturiser with some niacinamide or vitamin B3 because it's anti-inflammatory and soothing and the same with the zinc. So some people will go so far as actually recommending oral oral zinc and oral vitamin B3. I was just B3. about to ask you about mm, yeah. that. How
3: does that work? Does do you feel like orally it does do things for the skin?
1: So it it definitely can have beneficial effects on the skin, but the evidence to say that they have direct improvement in acne or rosacea or other skin conditions is limited. So it's not something that I can say has a really good evidence base behind it, but it's certainly an area where there's been more and more research being done and it's certainly not harmful. So if patients are really keen on taking oral zinc or oral vitamin B3, I know that they have other beneficial effects for them holistically, so I don't really have a problem with it, but I wouldn't rely on them alone to to cure acne. For
3: sure. What about essential fatty acids?
1: Yeah, so essential fatty acids I think are really uh, – do you mean orally? Orally, or, orally yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, again, I think the, the time when they're particularly helpful is when you are prescribing an oral retinoid. So yeah. if you are going on to dose isotretinoin, we know that this is a fat-soluble drug and combining, say, a, you know, a fish oil capsule or cod liver oil capsule with oral vitamin A, we know has a synergistic effect. Mm-hmm. We don't have the same level of evidence – by prescribing them alone, though.
3: Okay, yeah.
2: Interesting. interesting. I was, along those same lines, I was wondering about systemic anti-inflammatories, other methods, like, you know, Voltaren, Celebrex, things like that. Do they have any effect on... On acne at all, do you think? Unfortunately
1: not. So non-steroidals, we think simply because of the pathway yeah. that they inhibit, don't seem to have a huge role yeah. in, in the treatment of acne. They may give very partial improvement in inflammation yeah. you know, on the day or really minimally, if that. Yeah. We have much more faith in oral antibiotics, which again, a lot of people might be nervous about or concerned about. Yeah. We use the tetracycline group of antibiotics, which is doxycycline or minocycline. Yeah. I think one of the biggest problems I see, however, is that Poor patients are put on these antibiotics, and then they're left on them for six months, twelve months, two years, sometimes, and they just come, you know, cycling through antibiotics, thinking that their their acne is going to be cured. But we know that absolutely, that's that's not the case. So one of the things I'm a really I'm really passionate about is educating my patients and other doctors and pharmacists about the fact that antibiotics should only be used for short courses. Uh, I define that as three to four months. And if a patient, and in conjunction with retinoids, either topical or, or oral and really good skincare. So that's, it's a big, big problem.
3: Yeah. Well, I know you're excited to ask a question. We were doing some stalking <laughs> before we, you came onto the podcast yeah. and we saw that you were doing, this is completely different to acne, but I guess some it will kind of correlate. It's related, yeah. But But we would love to know about your bone marrow
1: transplant yes. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is a pretty niche area really and something, yeah, very different from what I do in at Southern Dermatology. So this is really at my public hospital appointment, which is at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Uh, the Royal Melbourne in, in Melbourne, Victoria, is one of the only hospitals that actually do bone marrow transplants. So you, we've all heard about kidney transplants mm-hmm. and liver transplants and even heart transplants or lung. Mm-hmm. These are all solid organs. But actually the bone marrow, which is our really our immune system, and the thing that produces our red blood cells and our white blood cells, can fail as well. And and most commonly, we'll hear about people who've had lymphoma or leukemia, which are different types of blood cancers. And there are a number of other ones as well. So in this kind of small group of patients who've required brand new transplants from either a sibling or a cousin, or even sometimes a matched unrelated donor, it's life-saving treatment. So they have a brand new immune system after their cancer has been wiped out through, through serious chemotherapy which is incredible for them. It keeps them alive and it can be very successful when done in in the right hands, in the right place. But unfortunately, they can develop a whole lot of very severe side effects and long-term complications. Uh, We call this graft versus host disease, which is the problem where their new bone marrow actually starts to attack themselves, their their pre-existing lung or kidneys or um, mouth, their eyes, and in my case, their skin. So we see a lot of patients who've had life-changing and life-saving treatment, but who then have a really bad skin as a result of it, whether that be incredibly dry skin, they can have problems with pigmentation where they lose a lot of colour and they can actually have a vitiligo-like disfigurement. They might have scarring, they'll have ulceration, they might have hair loss, nail disease. So it actually, it's very far-reaching. So my job is to work together with the haematologists who are an incredibly intelligent group of people who you know as I said perform life-saving treatments but to actually support these patients in the aftermath of their their bone marrow to support their skin care to make sure that they don't get um, skin cancers because they're also at much higher risk of that. But you know we're talking about patients as young as say 20 or 25 young women who, who are still alive but have lost you know 50 to 80 percent of their hair or can't wear nails, artificial nails, or paint-thin nails because they've got nail disease. So it can really have significant psychosocial um, yeah. Yeah. effects on them.
2: And is yeah. your approach to, to treating these patients any different to someone who comes in with that? problem without having had the bone marrow transplant?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think, if anything, I'm perhaps even more aggressive in the mm-hmm. way that I'll help them, want to manage them. Yeah. They're sort of a lot more advanced in terms of their skin disease. Mm-hmm. They're often quite emotionally fragile as well. Yeah. So these patients require a lot of time to um, building rapport you need to build their trust because often what's happened to them is that they've cycled through lots of doctors and nurses they've been you know through the hospital they've had experiences that you know you and I will couldn't even dream mm. about in terms of how severe their health has been affected and so i really try to i guess bring them back into the you know wider community not just to be seen as you know a survivor but someone who's actually can thrive with healthy skin and feeling comfortable within themselves
2: and is it safe to say that because of there's been a bone marrow transplant all of the problems are basically an autoimmune cause? Most commonly, but yeah. there's probably two other things that
1: can happen. One mm. is infection, so these right. patients have, you know, their their immune system is still quite fragile. Mm. They're often on immunosuppressant or medication, yeah. and so then they can develop skin infections, lung infections, bowel infections, and the rest. The other thing is their propensity towards cancer. So they're also mm. because of their level of immunocompromise and all the the chemo that they've had, right. as well as radiation, that you know, we're looking at for development of melanoma and non-melanoma skin cancers. Right. So yes, it's it's quite a range of skin mm. conditions. It's like you know, on, on steroids.
2: Yeah, wow. Well.
3: Interesting. Have you heard of Is Clinical?
1: Yes, I have. I was about to
3: say they do a lot of work with cancer patients and they've developed products like they're obviously going through treatment and you're on the other end of it. But, yeah, they're a really good brand. Like yeah. they're pro-heal and all of that.
1: That's right. And, look, there are, a, there are a few brands out there, I know, in a similar way, La Roche-Posay by, yeah. by L'Oreal, do, yeah. uh, really specialising in oncology. And I think what we've learned from patients is that all of these things, the skincare, the washes, the sunscreens, the adjunctive skincare, it's something that the doctors and nurses in the hospital know nothing, nothing about. about. Yeah. And and to be fair, yeah. they've got no time to... to You know, really educate educate patients about it because there's no funding. They're really trying to see lots of patients, and Mm -hmm. so I don't blame them. But I'm actually really passionate about integrating that world of yeah, what we would call cosmetics, which really is just about supportive skincare for for real humans who've undergone you know life saving, but potentially very damaging treatments yeah
3: i also feel like doing your skincare is such a nice ritual like i feel like it's nice for people who are obviously going through that like to you know cleanse your skin is actually really nice and a lot of the cleansers on the market can be quite irritating so when they find the right products yeah
1: Well, that's right. I think we heard this morning at the NSS that even in the times of, let's say, the global financial crisis where, you know, money is tight, people still want to spend a little on themselves to make themselves feel better about what's going on in the world around them. In the same token, if you're going through cancer therapy, actually, you know, having good skin, putting on some makeup, dressing nicely because, you know, you're battling poor health Mm. uh, can make a huge difference to how you're tackling life and feeling on a day-to-day basis. So it's not something that we should think
2: less of. We actually think this is part of our care for this human in front of
1: us.
3: Yeah. Oh, I love that.
2: It's like yesterday, you know, I was saying, you have one of those days where everything is going wrong And you just need one win. You just need one thing to make you feel better about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. It's being holistic, isn't it? I
1: mean, we're we're dermatologists or dermal clinicians, surgeons or whatever we are. If we only worry about that one thing that the patient has come in Mm. to talk to us about, we're actually missing all of the other aspects of them that we actually could help. Mm -hmm. Whether it be saying, look, you're clearly really struggling now. Have you spoken to anyone? You know, maybe seeing a psychologist for a short period will really help work through some of these issues. And when when some of my patients will look at me and go, you're my dermatologist, why are you thinking about this? But you actually, other, uh, other times you see them going, yeah, He's absolutely right. Like yeah. I know that a lot of my skin problems might be due to my underlying stress or depression or anxiety. Yeah. And it's having that really sort of holistic, I, I guess, uh, package of care that I think is critical for all healthcare professionals, yeah. no, no matter what, yeah. who you are.
3: I think it, there was definitely a lot of disconnect previously. I feel like healthcare professionals are now really wanting to be more holistic and work with everyone around them to provide better
0: patient care.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, before we wrap up the podcast, do you guys have any other questions for Ryan?
0: I feel like we should jump into our fun questions. Yes.
3: Yeah. Well, my question was going to be, what's your favorite skin condition to treat? But you already told us it's (laughs) acne and rosacea. So do you want to go for?
2: Yeah. So uh, what is your favorite skincare product to use? Oh, favourite skincare product. So I
1: definitely think vitamin C for me is is a yep. big one. It's one that I've only started using, I guess, in the last two years. I can tell you, I personally use the C Ferulic by, by SkinCeuticals. Cool. <laughs> but look, there is a skin a vitamin C for, for everyone. It is um, an incredible product. It's not suitable for absolutely everyone. Yep. And I certainly don't think that everyone should be spending huge, huge money on skincare as well. I'm, I'm pretty, I think a pretty, but it's something that I personally love. And it's really funny if I'm not wearing it, say if I'm going out taking the kids to, to Auskick or something, mm and I don't have my vitamin C on, I'm, I get a bit twitchy. I'm yeah. like, oh I, I really wanted to put that on before before I ran That's out the door. That's how Ian am, gets me yeah. his SPF.
3: He's yeah. like, I, I wanted to go get like a brekkie burger the other day and he goes, I haven't put my SPF on yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like,
2: we're <laughs> going gonna to walk outside. I need to put my SPF on. And in. like
0: two minutes outside, no more, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I got a question. What's your best skin tip for everyone?
1: A best skin tip. I think it's actually understand your skin and what your skin's needs are. Because not everyone needs the same adjunctive skincare, not everyone sh- needs to be using a vitamin C or an alpha hydroxy acid or beta hydroxy acid. It's actually understanding what you and your personal skin goals are and your skin type is. I think too often people go online, they'll see their latest influencer recommending a specific product and they think, oh, they look awesome and I want to look like them. So I'm going to drop, you know, 300 bucks on the skincare product. Just not necessary. So actually understand your skin and and seek advice. If you don't know, actually see a professional rather than just buying whatever you see online.
3: I actually have a question what about if you have an event you've got a breakout what's your like tip for reducing a breakout
1: so I think in the lead up, it's about using good skincare that does have AHAs and BHAs. Mm-hmm. I can think that that will help just unblock and then using topical anti-inflammatory therapies to to help control things. So whether that's got a bit of clindamycin 1%, if you need a little bit of benzoyl peroxide, we know mm-hmm. that that can be quite drying or quite harsh, but using those sorts of products in the lead up and LED is another a great yeah, one. So again, really. this is all for milder breakouts. I'm not talking about the yeah. severe cystic acne, yeah. but yeah, they're the top three, I think.
3: Perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Loved having you.
2: Thank you for yeah. having me. It's been great. I feel Ooh. like we could have talked about a lot more, but <laughs> we've run out of time. <laughs> know, it's, I'm it's, like, right. it's already yeah, half hour. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, but the next good. one soon, no. But no, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank, you. thank
0: you. Thank you.
3: I really love the way he approaches medical dermatology yeah. as a holistic mm. approach. I just don't feel like that's ve- like done very much. Like I know you're different, Ian, and I feel like you're such an exception to the rule, but it's so Refreshing, it's refreshing to yeah. hear that he is so holistic about the way he treats being a medical practitioner.
2: And you know, when, when we were chatting afterwards, him talking about the younger generation is starting to bring in more holistic treatments and, and just look at the whole patient as opposed to treating the disease and just writing a script. I, I think if the whole medical culture moves that way, then it's going to be good in the future. Do
3: you think it will change? Cause does, won't it stem from, you know, what they teach in university when they come out to the real world depends on who they're actually going to be mentored by.
2: That's right. And, and so you're going to see like with Ryan's juniors, he tries to teach him that method. You know, I do the same for my registrars that come through. You're going to have a slow trend towards that. Yeah. As long as nothing happens to, to shake it up, you yeah. know, and, and make things go backwards.
0: And it makes sense, right? Because especially, I guess, in the word of dermatology, like, you know, when you have acne, you go to see a dermatologist and you want it to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And then most dermatologists are just going to give you that script. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, well, now what? Yeah. It's like that acne might come back after, like, what are you going to do then? So it's like, it's great to hear about that whole holistic approach, you know, making sure they are on the proper skincare and everything so that they can actually maintain the results and you know, it's much more than even that. It's the whole mental health and like how, you know, your hormones will affect your body as well. So but I think yeah. a
2: lot of the, the doctors uh, that I've spoken to who treat things like acne, they get frustrated as well because they they do the script and it helps for a little while and then it comes back and yeah. the patient's unhappy. The doctor is not sure what to do. Do I just do another script? Yeah. or Do I do something else? And without looking too far outside the box, they're, they're sort of limited in what they can do. So I think that, you know, the holistic way of treating the patient, as Ryan said, from start to finish, the whole journey is is a really good method of way to do it.
3: Yeah. Hmm. Do you know what's so funny? When he was like, you know, people spend thousands of dollars, you know, on skincare and like only in like 12 to 24 months. And I'm like, uh,
2: I was thinking I, about you. <laughs> when he said I, that.
3: Like, um, I spend that in like three months, but yeah, I, I was like, that that's really good. A thousand dollars, like a year, like good on them. That, that's budget. <laughs> yeah
0: that's that's pretty good yeah (laughs) perfect all right so shall we wrap up the podcast let's do it thanks so much for listening to today's podcast make sure to follow us on our socials all the information will be in the description and make sure to leave us a review as well and we will see you in our next podcast Bye. bye